That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, here we are. We've gone back in time. Uh, not only are we going back to the ancient Near East in Genesis 32, you are going back to about 1987. You are talking to me on a landline as we record this. Uh, how does it feel? Um, it feels very, um, very 1997. And so, you know, while um, we are in the year 2020 up here in the Catskills, uh, the internet is still 1997. So it's like going back to the state of Iowa. So are um, you, I got a question. Are you wearing like overalls with only one of the straps attached and listening to a lot of Backstreet Boys? No, I'm wearing uh, one of those, you know, uh, um, I'm wearing a, a beige romper uh, mm. like they do in the Catskills and the Marvelous Mrs. Mabel. So Hey, you, uh, you're like Abe Weissman. That's got to be uh, one of my favorite scenes of all time. So uh, um, I'm grateful for you for that reason and for many others, including your biblical insight, which we will use as we now talk about Genesis 32. Uh, where Jacob uh, wrestles the the angel, as it's called, although we're not sure if that's who that is. Uh, Romans 9, where Paul talks about uh, his desire for the people of Israel and then uh, that they would be saved. And then Matthew 14, uh, where Jesus uh, orders a bunch of pizza for a huge crowd of people at Coachella. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, I love that. Um, Jesus and Coachella. So anyway, he would be there, man. He would be there. He'd be like, uh, he'd be, yeah, he'd be helping out the people. He'd be, he, he'd be the hit. He'd be the hit. And so, but um, we begin with another man in the middle of the desert, but instead of lots of people around, he's found himself, as the scriptures tell us, all alone. That's and right. So, we, we've um, got Jacob again getting... So we've kind of been walking through the story of Jacob. Last week, he was marrying Rachel, but had to marry Leah first. And we're talking about how God works through that. And now he's about to have... You know, we've skipped several chapters, and he's about to have this reconciliation, he hopes, with his brother Esau, the one he cheated, the one um, he lied to and stole his birthright. And uh, he's going to meet him. And so he's kind of getting ready for that. And the night before it happens, uh, he's crossing the ford of the Jabbok River and um, and getting ready to, to meet Esau. And he has this uh, yeah. this weird experience. So what happens then, Jake? Well, you know, uh, and you have to remember that this is, um, when you read the Bible, sometimes it can seem like this is like the next week. Uh, this is years later. This is... Um, this is at least 14 years later, but probably more like 20 years later when you think about this. And Jacob, is uh, he's got a lot of kids now. He's, um, he's got a lot of animals. Uh, he has swindled Laban, and, um, and now he's moving across. And uh, like you said, they come to the Jabbok River, which is a, for those who are interested in geography, is a tributary of the Sea of Galilee. 
and um, they're coming, and it's interesting, because here he's still a little shifty. You know, he um, uh, uh, Esau has showed up, he's gotten word that Esau has showed up with 400 men. Now, um, just go back to Game of Thrones or Viking or any of those shows, and when people show up with 400 men, mm. uh, that means uh, something bad is going to go down, typically. And so I love it, he sends his wife and children across the river first, partly as... You know, a lot of people say, well, he's just trying to be safe. But I mean, what could happen to these people? They could be slaughtered. They could be taken as slaves. All sorts of things can happen. So here you see kind of Jacob in this shifty moment, and he finds himself in the desert all alone. And um, when you read the Hebrew, it really wants to emphasize that all alone. He's in the dark. He's all by himself. Think naked and afraid, a solo expedition. You you know, he is by himself with nothing uh, but the darkness. But lo and behold, and who is there? Well, you know, so 400 people showing up, it could also be a flash mob, but I think you're probably a little bit more more accurate. Um, it's not a dance routine. That yes. would be hilarious, though, if Esau shed and they all did a flash mob. But while we're recording this, by the way, this coming weekend is July 4th weekend, and despite the prevalence of the coronavirus in Texas, Vanilla Ice, back to the 90s, is recording or performing a concert this Saturday, and maybe 400 people will show up. We'll see. But anyways, we have... I, if I yeah. had known that, I would have been one of the 400, <laughs> just for the record. Um, he, he was quoted when I was saying, in the, eighth, the 90s when, didn't have no coronavirus, so we're doing this party. I'm like, oh, vanilla. When I was in the ninth grade, um, Ice Ice Baby changed my life, um, just for a brief <laughs> moment. And so... Um, <laughs> yeah, back in the 90s, he said, this is I quote, we didn't have coronavirus, we had five, five O's and blockbuster video. So, there you go. That's right. Uh, Richard or Robert Van Winkle. Anyways, uh, back to the text. So Jacob is there alone. This uh, incident is quoted in uh, by Bono in U2. I think it's uh, Bullet the Blue Sky. Jacob wrestled the angel and the angel was mm. overcome off of the Joshua Tree classic album. Uh, and uh, But it's not necessarily an angel. The text says a man and it's left intentionally mysterious and we get some identity some some um, clues because the man renames Jacob Israel, which means to strive with God or wrestle with God. Um, and the person who gets to rename people usually in scripture is God. And when Jacob asks for the name of the man, he doesn't get an answer. And then Jacob names the place Peniel, renames it, which uh has an alternate spelling, which we see in verse 31, Penuel, but it's the same place. And it means the face of God. Uh, The reason why there's two alternate spellings is because, as you know, uh, listeners, if you went to seminary and had to learn Hebrew like Jake and me, uh, Hebrew has only consonants, no vowels, and the vowels were added later. So it's the same consonants, the P, the N, and the L, but different vowels. Anyways, um, so... The thing that's going on here is Jacob is meeting God or sort of an appearance of God and does this interesting thing. They don't pray together. They wrestle. They put on their, those like little wrestling unitards and uh, go Singlets. Yeah, yeah, they're that's at right. So what, and why, Jake, uh, what, why is this happening? Let me set you up with a rhetorical question. Hmm. Uh, well, I think um, because um, 
they are um, Jacob is encountering God here, and uh, and who what human doesn't wrestle with God? What human doesn't want his own will um, over the will of God? Um, but the will of God will prevail, and I think it's I think this is very powerful to remember. Like you hear know, some of the arguments that that. Uh, um, that uh, you know, this can't be God because you know Jacob, like he can't be Jacob. But remember, think about this as like a father wrestling with his son. Um, mm. This isn't the full brute strength, and um, but there is what I think. What's being illustrated here is that in the dark and in the and alone, every human um, uh, strives against God. Uh, we want our way, not God's way. But in the end, God will have his his way, and uh, he indeed changes Jacob's name, changes Jacob's life from this moment on at this, at this very uh, important place. And he does it by, um, uh, by basically knocking uh, Jacob's hip out of place and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, marking Jacob forever. And uh, the truth is that in the midst of our moments where we're striving with God, we need to remember that we have been marked uh, by God as well, marked though not with the breaking of a hip, but uh, with um, with water, and uh, sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism, and marked as Christ's own forever. And it's interesting, you know, we were talking about this, and I told you before we were recording this. I always take a look at the places where they um, where the patriarchs went, because sometimes there's a profound encounter with Jesus in those same places. And uh, in Peniel or uh, Penuel, you say tomato, I say tomato. Um, <laughs> there is. Um, this place isn't mentioned uh, really in the New Testament, but this is the place where Jeroboam fights Rehoboam, and the kingdom of um, Judah and Israel are separated. And um, and uh, this wonderful place um, is forgotten. And it's so easy to for us to forget that we have been marked as Christ's own forever. But never uh, the good news of the gospel is is that God never forgets you, and He never forgets. Um, your name, and he's given you a name, and uh, that uh, name is is that he loves you very much. The banner over you is love, mm. and so whatever happens, uh, no matter the striving, you know that God loves you by virtue of your baptism, because that points to Jesus, where he's laid his life down for you. Yeah, and, I mean Jacob here has you know his this statement in verse twenty nine or verse thirty. I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. This is where Jacob is realizing. He's just dodged a huge bullet because of the mm. grace of God. He mm. thought he was just wrestling somebody, and uh, and it turns out he wasn't. And this is where, as you say, it's like a father wrestling a child. You don't uh, you don't use your full strength. Uh, God here has not, in appearing in this human form to wrestle Jacob, has not turned his strength up to eleven. He's he's pulled his punches. He's 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 barely gotten out of you know first gear here. And this is a, a way of God showing mercy to Jacob. Jacob, who again, he's he knows he's about to face judgment because he's going to go meet Esau, who he did dirty a long time ago. And so he's got something on his conscience. He meets God, knows that he's a sinner, and yet God does not execute judgment. He he leaves him marked, but preserves his life. And so this is where. Jacob realizes he has received God's grace, and uh, that's um, that's a powerful, powerful encounter. Absolutely. So we then come to Romans chapter nine, verses one through five. Yep, and uh, 
Paul is uh, getting sort of to the end of Romans, but there's this is beginning a long discussion. He's dealt with what is the gospel, and then which was you know the grace of God for sinners, the wages of sin is death, but the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So kind of this. Uh, explication of the gospel, then the dealing with the charge of antinomianism. Uh, the, if, if there's so much grace, does that mean we can just get away with everything? And Paul has to go into a long explanation of that. And uh, last week in Romans 8, just, you know, we're more than conquerors, nothing can separate us from the love of God, no condemnation, all that sort of stuff. And now we get into this question that troubled Paul. If uh, Jesus is the Messiah and has offered this grace to all and has brought the Gentiles in and all of that, what about the Jewish people? What about the nation of Israel, his own people? And you get this beautiful picture of Paul here, his own personal emotions uh, regarding um, his people. He says, this, these are my kindred, the Israelites, and everything belongs to them. And he says, not only I wish I, if, if I could die so that they could uh, come to faith in Christ, I would. He says, I wish I could be cut off from Christ for them. I wish I could, I would, I would rather go to hell. I'd rather be damned, as he says, uh, accursed, uh, if I could, if I could save them. And it just shows his own great sense of love for his, his people. And Paul, the, Paul, ever the missionary, the, the Pharisee who, pursue, who persecuted the Christians now wants, um, he would even give up Christ if they could become like he is. Yeah, I think this is, uh, this is very powerful. And w- what Paul understands is that, um, that um, Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through Christ. You know, this is his whole, this is, I mean, part of his major argument in, in the book of Romans, and uh, connecting it, and this isn't a new religion, this is a fulfillment, um, this is a fulfillment of Judaism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and uh, you, see the, you see the seriousness, and I think, you know, uh, I think on one level, the church has lost profoundly the importance of Christ. You know, we just, we're basically all functioning, here's a word for everybody, henotheists. That means that we believe in one God, but there are many ways to get to him. And uh, Paul understands that this is not the case, and um, it breaks his heart, you know, and so he sees evangelism as important, and this is why the church needs to see evangelism as important, because because um, salvation is at stake. But this is what Paul. Um, this is what Paul is getting at here in Romans chapter nine. Is that this is what God is all about? Salvation. You know, from the beginning. Um, you know, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from them, according to the flesh, comes the Messiah, who's over all. That God has been working through this imperfect way you know, to bring about a perfect salvation. Um, and that that salvation is freely given to the people of Israel. That salvation is freely given now to the whole world. And um, and so, but this is what it's all about right from the beginning, salvation. And mm. that's what we're not talking about, you know, so that people will stop smoking or people will stop chewing or st- people will stop, you know, watching uh, rated R movies. This is about life and death. And, uh, you know, when we realize that, we realize how important evangelism is and the sharing of this gospel because it's for the salvation of the whole world. That's right. And I think also, you know, one other note here that you can talk about is that Paul's failure to win over uh, his people 
uh, is another indication that you can you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, you can be a faithful witness and a faithful Christian, and still experience massive failure in your ministry. So, mm. uh, and there's just there's just a real personal note here for Paul that he's that you know his own people whom he would and whenever he went to a place he'd always go to the synagogues first. I mean this these were his his people and he loved them. And uh, there's probably someone in your life that you love and would love to see them come to faith. Uh, Dear listener, and uh, and so I think you can find a kindred spirit, and 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 just uh, you can feel seen and known um, because maybe you have some sorrow and unceasing anguish in your own heart, um, but ultimately Paul trusts God's purposes and plan, and 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 rests in that. So it's not to yeah. sweep you the emotion under the rug. You can have the have the emotion, uh, and also trust God, and and kind of hold those those two things at the same time. So yeah, which, there's uh, a there's a beautiful there's a beautiful illustration of that in the life of uh, Saint Ansgar, who was a, um, uh, a great Scandinavian saint, and uh, he was sent by the Franks to missionize the the Vikings. And um, anyway, his ministry and his career was a total total failure up there. Um, I, uh, some say he was martyred. Others say he ran back to uh, Francia with his tail between his legs. And um, uh, but about a hundred years later, when they, the Franks resent missionaries up to Scandinavia, they all of a sudden found churches all over the place. And uh, and the the missionaries were like, "How did the church get here?" And people were like, "Oh, my grandmother or my grandfather uh, heard the gospel preached through." Um, through this guy named Ansgar, and uh, the uh. little churches were set up, and he thought his whole ministry was a failure. And uh, but nonetheless, the point is, is that this is true, and it's for everyone, um, including Jew and uh, Gentile. And so, um, while our ministries may be failures and we may weep, that weeping sends us forth to proclaim it and herald it all the more because it's true. And we know that the word is at work despite ourselves. Mm. Jake with the Scandinavian story. That's powerful. That's powerful. I did not. I did not know that. Beautiful. Yeah, celebrate Saint Ansgar. It's it's he's the patron saint for failures. Huh. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. I yeah. only want the patron saint for winners. Yeah. So. Um, well, I speaking of saint winners, Ju- I think that's Saint Judas. So, yeah, that's, but, right. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Speaking of winners, uh, Jesus uh, shows up in Matthew 14 now, uh, and he's tired. He's worn out. He goes to a deserted place to try to get some rest, uh, and uh, but a whole crowd shows up, and he ends up feeding the 5,000 in this famous, miraculous feeding, where with just five loaves and two fish, uh, he will distribute them to the people and, and feed all these folks. Uh, 5,000 men, uh, there were also women and children who were not counted, uh, reflection of the patriarchy of the time. And uh, so, you know, a huge crowd. I mean, 10,000 people could have been. Um, so, uh, it's a familiar story. What do you say about this, Jake? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there... Um, uh, I mean, I think the big, the big take-home here is um, that... Um, what to eat is in their very midst, you know, and uh, they miss it. The provision, not only for the disciples, but the provision for the whole, and the crowd, but the provision for the whole world is in their very midst. And he takes this, um, you know, five loaves and two fish, and he feeds this whole crowd. 
Um, but the good news of the gospel, and if you ever go to the site where the where this um, this um, this event took place, it's on the Sea of Galilee. Um, and uh, when you go to the church there, there um, um, when you go to the church there, um, there's um, the altar, and there are four loaves, and uh, underneath the altar, like four you know images of loaves. And uh, that is because Jesus is the fifth loaf who continues to feed the world. Um, and he continues to feed the crowds uh, with his word. And uh, the word that comes in your ears, it comes to you in still today, um, God willing soon in New York City, but bread and, uh, and he continues to feed you and uh, to nourish you with his, uh, with his word. Yeah, and you know, one of the, I think, interpretive and homiletical errors that is often made in this passage is to emphasize the crowd's giving of the five loaves and the two fish, or the disciples giving of the five loaves and the two fish. And they say, the preacher will say, so it doesn't take much, but you just got to give whatever you have and God will multiply it. And that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is Jesus taking essentially nothing and Jesus doing this work. And, you know, if you think about the five loaves and the two fish that they had, um, the the point of the passage is not that we're the disciples giving Jesus a little bit of stuff and then he does something great with it and partnering with him in that way. The point of the crowd of the story is that we're the crowd. Um, we're the we're the ones who are hungry. We are the ones that are sick. We are the ones on whom he has compassion. And, um, and, uh, and Jesus feeds us and gives us more than enough to eat. And I think uh, make sure that the emphasis in the story is not uh, what you bring to God for him to do good stuff with. Uh, yeah. The emphasis in the story is that you are the crowd, you're the hungry ones. And and the and it's, again, don't make this about you, make this about what God does for people that and you he, help. And he continues to feed you now, you know, that um, he hasn't stopped feeding um, but instead, he continues to nourish us um, uh, where he is present. And so, um, yeah, that's the good news. And I'm so glad that you uh, mentioned that because that is an important, that's a tragic homiletic error. You know, you do your part and God will do his. That's, um, that's semi-Pelagianism. And right. uh, you want to avoid that heresy at all cost. And so, right, remember, this yeah. is all about what Christ is doing for you. Yeah, because clearly the disciples have no faith here. They say, well, you give them something. And they say to him, the first words they say is, we have nothing. Yep. Uh, they they don't say, well, we do have five loaves and two fish, and we know that you can do amazing things. They No, they say, we've got nothing. I mean, we've, we've got... Uh, Zilch. So, uh, and remember, and remember, ladies and gentlemen, that's what we have also. Amen. <laughs> nothing. We amen. bring nothing to the table. Um, remember, the gospel is not about merit, it's all about grace and mercy. It's not yeah. about your flimsy loaves and fish um, that you didn't even know were there. It's about the yep. fact that he feeds you nonstop. Yeah, I mean, and the other, the other kind of um, uh, subtext here. When they say we have nothing here but five loaves and two fish, what they're really kind of saying is, Jesus, we have nothing, and if we give it away, we won't have anything for ourselves. Like, we brought this for us. All we have is our lunch, Jesus, that we brought, and there's 12 of us. I mean, it's barely enough for us. So, you can kind of almost picture them whispering to Jesus, we have nothing but these five loaves and two fish, which we were saving kind of for ourselves because we're hungry too. Uh, And Jesus... uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, classic, just bring them to me. Like, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And so, uh, and that's, it is, yeah, and that's this not is not the, about the disciples being faithful with a little. And so God is going to do a lot through them. It's, it's, they are, they are clearly faithless and Jesus does it all, which is the good news. Right. And there's something very, very powerful there too. Like that's the exact opposite of the way St. Paul feels in Romans. Yeah. Like the, heartbroken. There's nothing yeah. I can do, you know, but nonetheless, this is true. You know, they're like, well, this is ours. Um, but, and Jesus is giving away anyway, you know what I mean? Right. And, um, and nonetheless, this is true. So you bring nothing to the table. Remember that. Um, uh, but Jesus, uh, continues to give away for the salvation of the world. And, uh, he, uh, nourishes us in that salvation with his body, uh, yep. which is bread. Uh, bread and, from heaven, given for you. And of course, in verse 20, when we find out that there are 12 baskets full of leftovers, this is a way of telling these 12 disciples, you didn't want to give this stuff away because you wanted to save it for yourself. Um, but Jesus' mercy and compassion is so great that even for their <laughs> selfish, self-absorbed hearts, uh, he wants to provide for them too. This is a passage, as you said, Jake, it's about God's mercy for sinners, God's mercy for hungry people, God's mercy for sinners, God's desire to provide for them through Christ. Um, and, you know, you wanted to hold on to your five loaves and two fish, disciples, um, and I'm going to give you a basket full of of food. So this is God's economy. He doesn't reward the people who do good he gives everything to people that deserve nothing because of his great love. This is the one who has compassion on people, mm. including you and me. Amen. Well, that seems like a great place to kind of uh, bring it to a close. So yeah, uh, now I'm going to go get a fish everybody. fillet, fillet of fish. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, enjoy it. And, um, and remember to keep your mask on when you go into McDonald's, Aaron. That's right. All right. Don't touch your face. All right. God bless. Bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody wonders what you're doing today You know we crucified him, buried him But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away and yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song And we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful Either in your preaching or just in your life If you like what you heard, we would love it If you could leave a rating or review on iTunes Dave's all will be sad if you don't we like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.